It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Good evening, everyone. We begin the readout tonight with the civilian tragedy that continues to unfold as Vladimir Putin's war in Ukraine enters its third week today, with the situation still dire in the port city of Mariupol. Emergency workers continue to rescue civilians there today as Russian forces launched a fresh assault and residents remain trapped, encircled by Russian troops. Ukrainians, Ukrainian armed forces released a video showing devastation in residential areas. The city is now blocked from evacuations and humanitarian aid. I have nine kids. Pray for Mariupol. We are being bombed from all directions. Pray for mothers with children, please. It's very hard here. We have no water, no food, no electricity. It's so scary getting through this. It comes a day after Russia's horrific attack on a maternity hospital and its aftermath as reported by Sky News. There is no ceremony for those who've lost their lives in Mariupol, just a long trench where they're placed next to those who've suffered the same fate, many of them civilians. <laughs> Three people, including a child, died in yesterday's attack on the city's maternity and children's hospital. 17 were injured. Anger is mounting with the growing civilian casualties. But it's set against Russian denial. The bombing here is fake news, says the Kremlin, that there were no women or children at the hospital, just radicals. Well, as you can clearly see with your very own two eyes, that Russian claim is a lie. Even as today, Russia's foreign minister claimed that it was a legitimate target. The European Union and United Kingdom condemned the attack as a war crime. While today in Poland, Vice President Kamala Harris stopped just short of directly accusing Russia of war crimes. Absolutely, there should be an investigation. And we should all be watching. And I have no question the eyes of the world are on this war and what Russia has done in terms of this aggression and these atrocities. I have no doubt. And while the world watches, the extent of Russia's atrocities are already clear. Ukraine's foreign minister shared a video of the reality of war. And I should warn you, the following image is graphic. And we don't know the child's condition or where in Ukraine it was filmed. But this is how life for Ukraine civilians in the face of Russia's lies and aggression is playing out. The humanitarian crisis continues to grow by the hour. The U.N. now says that more than 2.3 million people have fled Ukraine. Another estimated 2 million are displaced within the country. In Irpin, a steady stream of civilians continue to flee on foot with assistance from Ukrainian forces now moving into the city. And families fled towns and villages north of Kyiv during a brief ceasefire as Russian forces pressed their advance towards the capital on Thursday. In Odessa, Ukrainian forces prepared for the worst, shielding the city in preparation for shelling there. Every war is a disaster, and it is a disaster for our country. Uh, and we hope that it... Uh, 
it is going to end in the closest future. Today, top diplomats from Ukraine and Russia continued peace talks, making no progress, while Ukrainian soldiers continued to fight. On the outskirts of Kyiv, Sky News' Alex, Sky News's Alex Crawford visited a hospital dealing with its new normal. And some of these images, I should warn you, are graphic. They arrive stuffed into car boots. And on the back seats, they're taking some terrible hits trying to stop the Russian troops entering the Ukrainian capital, laid out on already blood-soaked stretchers. The soldiers have just been shelled on a front line which is creeping ever closer to Kyiv. And it's the nearest hospital, now entirely turned over to dealing with the war wounded. These aren't army medics, they're the town's doctors and nurses, who two weeks ago were dealing with births and bone breaks. Now they're plunged into a new world, spent trying to save the lives of soldiers and civilians, torn apart by bombs and bullets. It's the World War Three. It's World War Three. Joining me now from Lviv, Lviv, Ukraine, is NBC News correspondent Cal Perry. You know, it it is hard to believe that I even have to say this, Cal, because we can see, okay, we we, we are watching this unfold horrific, um, you know, atrocities being committed by Russian troops, by Russian warplanes, and we can see what a hospital is. We can see what a civilian target is. It's hard to believe that they are trying to deny it, but uh, tell me what you're seeing, what you're experiencing where you are. And harder to believe that we're sometimes seeing this stuff on like a two or three day delay because that's how long it's taking cameras uh, to get to these places. Mariupol continues to be under a siege. We're starting to hear some numbers from the deputy mayor, at least 1,200 civilians there dead, though he says the number is more likely going to be three or four times that. He reports that there are 400,000 civilians remaining in that city. He calls them Russian hostages. He says there have been six attempts to get people out. And in each of those cases, uh, the Russian military has targeted civilians as they fled. To the north in Kharkiv, again, to your point, we're finally starting to see that city. It is blacked out 24 hours a day. Um, And the reporting that we had received yesterday, we can now confirm, which is there are bodies in the streets, not just civilians, but Russian soldiers who appear to be taking heavy losses in that city. Um, Diplomatically, failed peace talks today in Turkey, but the IAEA arriving on the scene because they're concerned about two nuclear sites in particular, Zaporizhia power plant, which was under fire last week, and the site in Chernobyl. It looks as though Ukrainian engineers are going to get to that site in Chernobyl, at least the Russians say they will allow Ukrainian engineers onto that site to reconnect the power at Chernobyl. It is completely surreal that we're giving Chernobyl updates, uh, but that's where we are on that. And then finally, the most, I think, alarming news for civilians across this country today, we heard from the Ukrainian president who is now addressing this Russian narrative that the Americans and the Ukrainians have secret biological sites here in Ukraine. And we've heard very, very frightening things from the White House saying that people should prepare themselves for a possible chemical weapons attack that is a false flag attack. We're finally starting to hear that from Ukrainian officials as well, Joy. Horrific. Um, Cal Perry, thank you very much. Stay safe. I want to bring in Maxim Borodin, a city council member in Mariupol, Ukraine, and Evelyn Farkas, former deputy assistant secretary of defense for Russia, Ukraine and Eurasia. Uh, Let me start uh, with you, Mr. Borodin. Um, These absolute lies are shocking when we can actually see the truth. Um, And we just heard our reporter, Cal Perry, describe the cities in which Russian troops are operating as essentially hostage situations. Um, 
tell me what is happening in Mariupol right now. In Mariupol today, situation is catastrophic uh, because uh, in our reality, Putin's men, Putin's soldiers are taking hostages all of my city, my home city. Uh, people don't uh, have electricity, don't have heat, and it's fro uh, frost on the streets, don't uh, have enough uh, food uh, and no water. And all these promises of green corridors is uh, standard uh, tactics for Putin, they say, for green corridors, but they start to shoot people. So, and today, yesterday situation and today, when they are directly bombing the center of the city, where, where there is no, uh, some uh, uh, objects, uh, we, we, no, no army at, at all, they, they directly uh, bombing the hospitals. It's near my home. And uh, from the photo I, I have from the Mariupol, uh, my city is totally uh, distracted, annihilated. And it's, it's not human. And the problem not only with Putin. Problem, uh, his propaganda TV is, makes uh, people of uh, Russia a belief that all we show reality from Mariupol and other, other cities, it's, uh, they call it fake. They don't believe the, the, the real video. They believe their own TV. And it's horrible. The, the, the words, uh, the word out of, out of the Kremlin is that the only way that they plan to stop this horror um, is a set of demands, um, Mr. Borodin, that include that Ukraine stop fighting, essentially, that Ukraine change its constitution to enshrine neutrality and meaning they will never want to join NATO, um, acknowledge Crimea as Russian territory um, and recognize these two uh, sort of separatist republics as independent. Is that something that you can ever imagine your leaders, your government doing? It's, it's, uh, it, it's unbelievable. And uh, our leaders, any presidents of Ukraine, of free Ukraine, can't uh, uh, get these uh, um, scenes because uh, they uh, want uh, so Mariupol uh, to be the part of uh, uh, how they called DPR. And uh, Crimea is uh, be always Ukrainian, so they understand that we do, we can't uh, take this uh, proposition from them, and they try they killed not soldiers soldiers they killed civilians, and they use brutally unhuman methods for for this, and if our uh, American partners and European partners don't get help, real help, with uh, anti-plane uh, systems and uh, not getting uh, to Ukraine jet planes. Uh, all the world uh, continue to see how Putin totally destroyed Ukraine. And he don't stop on Ukraine, believe me. He only understands the power. Like in Syria, when uh, he gets his group of men, special trainer, gets uh, uh, shots from uh, American army, he do nothing because yeah. he afraid. He only understands the power, nothing else. Let me bring you in, Evelyn. Uh, the, let me play the, uh, the director of national intelligence, Avril Haines, and she's made it very clear that whatever it is, whatever brutality uh, Putin unleashes, he's never going to be able to subdue Ukraine. Take a listen. 
If they pursue the maximalist approach, we judge it will be especially challenging for the Russians to hold and control Ukrainian territory and install a sustainable pro-Russian regime to Kyiv in the face of what we assess is likely to be a persistent and significant insurgency. That seems obvious. I'm not a military expert. Why then continue this destruction and these lies to try to say that a town like Mariupol, when you've bombed a hospital where women are supposed to be able to give birth and made that hospital unusable and you're killing children, why continue? They are never going to subdue Ukraine. Well, Joy, they've taken the wrong lessons from other theaters, if you will, where they've used these methods. So in 1999, when Putin came to power, he did the same thing in Grozny, in Chechnya, which is part of the Russian Federation. And they leveled the Chechnya. And then he had a strong arm, you know, his strong man in there, paid a lot of money to rebuild it. And it's working for him. In Syria, same thing. For Bashar al-Assad, Russia was the bad guy raining down bombs on civilians, on hospitals in 2015 on a U.N. convoy. And look who's in charge in Syria. It's Assad and all the refugees. The Russians managed to basically squeeze them out of town and towns and cities all the way up north. Now they're in a pocket in Idlib. So Putin thinks he's going to eventually have his way here. It's sick. But I guess the, the, the answer then, I, I will go back to you then, Mr. Barnett, and give you the last word here. Let's, I mean, even if um, there have been images of, uh, of at least one city in, in Ukraine where you now see the sort of Russian secret police or the, his sort of specialized police force patrolling and the city is otherwise empty, people are terrified to even protest. Even if he were to do that to Mariupol, is there some point at which the people in your town and in your country will ever submit to being a part of the Russian sphere of influence. We, ne- we never submit uh, this uh, situation because our country is Ukraine and we don't want any Russia or any other country in Ukraine. I think that has been made very, very clear. Um, please stay safe. Thank you, Maxime Borodin. Thank you for your time. Uh, Evelyn Farkas, thank you so much. Really appreciate you both. Still ahead on the readout. A new Iron Curtain descends on Russia as Putin's Kremlin ramps up its antagonistic rhetoric while stifling internal dissent. Plus, the British prime minister raises questions about Putin using chemical weapons in Ukraine. And later, pay attention to the anti-Ukraine rhetoric coming out of some of the right. Take this, Jim. Remember that Zelensky is a thumb. Remember that the Ukrainian government is incredibly corrupt and it is incredibly evil. Well, Madison must be watching a different war than the rest of us are, or maybe just watching too much Tuckums. The readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future.
That's PlannedParenthood.org slash future. President Putin has worked methodically over the last two decades to turn Russian society into a kind of propaganda bubble. I don't believe he can wall off indefinitely uh, Russians from the truth, especially as realities begin to puncture that bubble. It isn't just Ukrainians fleeing. Russians are leaving their own homeland before the Iron Curtain fully descends on Russia due to Putin's war. Here's a shopping mall in Moscow. Stores shutter due to historic sanctions. But it isn't only about the economic hit. The Kremlin is escalating its crackdown on dissent. More than 13,000 anti-war protesters have been arrested and spreading, quote, fake news, sound familiar, or even describing the Ukraine invasion as a war is now a crime punishable by 15 years in prison. Joining me now is Julia Iafi, founding partner and Washington correspondent for Puck News. Thank you very much for being here, Julia. You've written a piece, which I have here, which is called Inside Russia's Media Black Hole. How are they sort of manufacturing consent for this war? Well, they're basically shutting their population off completely from the reality of this war. You know, now that anything other than the official line on what's happening in the war is branded fake news and is punishable by up to 15 years in jail, most publications are scared to publish anything. And what was left of the independent media has been shut down and Basically, hundreds of journalists have fled Russia. So what Russians are seeing of this war is not what we're seeing. Uh, They think or they're being told that the war is just in the Donbass, that uh, there are very minimal casualties on the Russian side, that the Russian side is being incredibly generous and careful with the civilians, that Ukrainian civilians are greeting them as liberators that this is not a war against the Ukrainian people, but against the Nazis Mm -hmm. who have seized control over them with pressure from the U.S. Of course, none of this is true, but that's what Russians are being told. And there's no no other narrative. So most Russians support the war. And and yet more than 13,000 have protested and gotten arrested. So people are getting real information. And you're you've reported you were tweeting out uh, back in the USSR uh, sort of tweet today saying that you've heard from several friends that are uh, there are now limits in Moscow grocery stores on how many items a person can buy at a time. You need to text it back to the USSR. Um, You know, people allegedly are fleeing to Finland. Um, About 44,000 people crossed the Russian border into Finland in February, up from 27,000 the same month last year. It it seems to me that some people are are figuring it out and either protesting or actually leaving. Well, the thing is, this this has not been a totalitarian country this whole time. It was an authoritarian country, and it was very plugged into the world. And there was a very educated class of people, especially in the big cities, who traveled a lot, who spoke other languages. There was an independent media. It was small and marginalized and eking out in existence, but it existed. And people were able to access other news sources from abroad. Now that's all gone unless you go through the extra effort of using a VPN to mask your uh, location in Russia so that you can access these foreign sources of information. But again, these groups are, you know, these are people who it's kind of like in the U.S., the people, let's say with Trump, people who are going to like Trump no matter what and people who are going to dislike Trump no matter what. And then if there's a, let's say there's a war, people are going to have kind of preset uh, 
ideas about it and attitudes toward it. So these yeah. two groups of people have were in existence before this. Now there's just really just a crack, a really hardcore crackdown that we haven't seen the likes of before. You know, what's interesting is that I, I it, it feels like what you're going to start happen, you know, see happening is an economic drain that is sort of plunging Russia, you know, kind of into almost sort of an Afghanistan state where there's just nothing there. Economically, they're being stripped. Even Goldman Sachs has gotten out. And now you have uh, Russia, the Kremlin, threatening to seize the assets of companies that are leaving, seize their airline jets, seize $10 billion worth of, of assets. Okay, seize it and do what with it? Uh, the ruble is in shambles. Their economy is cratering. Seize it and so what? That's the question. Uh, I saw some Russian friends joking today, you know, that what are you going to do? You're going to take over an Apple store and the iPhones are going to magically <laughs> start appearing there? That's and, right. how are, and how are people going to pay for it now that, you know, they've, they're cut off from what the Western financial system, you know, I, Russia still has an economy and it has been, you know, um, an extractive economy. It has always had oil, gas, other natural resources, gold, diamonds, potash, uh, all kinds of precious metals, aluminum. So, um, it will still be able to sell these things on the world market. There will always be a buyer for them. For example, China or India who are not lining up with the U S and Europe on this. The question is to what extent can it prop up the economy and what happens to all these people that you're seeing on the streets right now who are used to a different lifestyle and a different level of uh, comfort, you know, Russia, St. Petersburg were fantastic cities before this. They, um, I think they were, Moscow was a nicer city to live in than New York City, I would say. What happens now? What happens to the young people who are used to traveling, who are used to having uh, Apple Pay for everything, including the Metro and their local bodega? What happens yeah. when they you know, can't watch any of these movies or, or access Spotify? Um, do they flee? Do they protest? Or do they just shut up and wear Soviet-made jeans? I don't know if you saw the Bolshevichka factory, which means Bolshevik woman, is dusting off apparently its Soviet era manufacturing equipment to make uh, Russian made jeans because Levi's has left HM and all these. You know, Havana was a beautiful city too. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, you can have exactly. a closed economy and there'll be some people who trade with you. They ask folks in Cuba how that's working out for them. Um, and the brain drain will come because eventually you're going to lose your educated class. You're going to get the hell out of there. Um, he has broken two countries. Vladimir Putin has a, a pure thug. Um, thank you very much. Julia Yaffe. Appreciate you. Up next, world leaders raise concerns about the potential use of chemical weapons in Ukraine. Putin has already shown that he's not above using them. So what's stopping him from doing so now? We will ask that sobering question when we come back. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. 
But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Western nations are warning that Vladimir Putin appears ready to commit new and even more horrific atrocities in Ukraine. Yesterday, the White House raised the possibility that Russia could soon use chemical or biological weapons in violation of international law. And the threat appears dire enough that British Prime Minister Boris Johnson brought it up in an interview with Sky News today. I'll make you one other prediction, by the way, which is that the stuff that you're hearing about uh, chemical weapons. This is straight out of their playbook. They start saying that uh, there are chemical weapons uh, that uh, have been stored by uh, their opponents or by the Americans. And so when they themselves deploy uh, chemical weapons, as I, as I fear they, they may, they have a, a, a sort of a maskirovka, a, a fake story ready to go. This is what you expect next then? Look, I, you know, it's, I, I just note that that is what they're, they're already doing. It, it is a cynical, uh, barbaric uh, government, I'm afraid. The prime minister was alluding to the false accusation that the Kremlin leveled against the West yesterday, baselessly accusing Ukraine and the United States of running an illicit biological weapons lab inside Ukraine. However, their fabrication was immediately and unequivocally condemned as an outright lie by the U.S. State Department, which pointed out that Russia has a track record of accusing the West of the very crimes that Russia itself is perpetrating. As CIA Director William Burns said today, it is straight out of the Kremlin's playbook. It um, underscores the concern that all of us need to focus on those kind of issues, whether it's the potential for a use of chemical weapons, either as a false flag operation or against Ukrainians. This is something, as, as all of you know very well, is very much a part of Russia's playbook. They've used those weapons against their own citizens. Um, they've at least encouraged the use in Syria and elsewhere. So it's something we take very seriously. Russia, however, has doubled down on their false claim and is seeking to discuss them before the U.N. Security Council on Friday, according to the Associated Press. With me now, Naveed Jamali, editor-at-large for Newsweek, former FBI double agent and author of How to Catch a Russian Spy. Here, uh, let me listen. let you listen to uh, Good evening, uh, my friend. Let me let you listen to uh, Volodymyr Zelensky doing an interview on Vice News tonight, um, very you know, forcefully denying these absurd allegations from Russia. I am the president of a reasonable country and a reasonable people, and the father of two children. No chemical or any other weapon of mass destruction were developed on my land. The whole world knows this. And if Russia does something similar against us, it will receive the most severe sanctions response. Let me just correct. That was a telegram, a, a video he posted on Telegram, not an interview with Vice. Um, this sounds to me like a pretext by the Kremlin to do what it's claiming, um, what it's accusing uh, Ukraine of. What do you think? I think that the Russians have completely lost the information operations game. The Zelensky administration, the Ukrainians have been uh, they've just been cleaning their clock, Joy. I mean, it's it is almost embarrassing how well the Ukrainians have been doing, considering the Russians invented disinformation. 
So that being said, though, where are we in terms of, let's just call it WMDs, right? Nuclear, biological, chemical. Is there a risk tonight that the Russians are going to use those types of weapons? And look, Joy, the, the minute the Russians went into Ukraine, uh, the chance was no longer zero. It escalated and it stays escalated tonight. But I want to th- point out the language that's being used here. You know, in the past, when U.S. intelligence has assessed that something is going to happen, they've thwarted Russian attempts by making it very clear that there was an assessment that this was going to happen. We're hearing language that says they could use this. And clearly, you know, it's out of everyone has said it's out of the Russian playbook. I think it's probably unlikely that the Russians are going to escalate by using chemical or nuclear weapons in Ukraine. I think that there is a chance, however, that in in this scenario, if the Ukrainians pushed the Russians back and entered Russian territory, I think absolutely joy that the Russians would use weapons of mass destruction on their territory. I'm very yeah. skeptical that they would use it in Ukraine. I think that, look, and to this, and to this whole BS about the Ukrainians having any, any, I mean, the Ukrainians are fighting for their lives. If they had some, I think if they had some device, candidly, that could turn the tide, they would probably use it. They don't have it. They never developed it. It's, of course, an absurd claim. You know, these are labs that were, you know, used for health, you know, concerns, not nuclear or weapons, uh, you know, creation. It's, a, of course, an absurd com- uh, thing to for the Russians to do, but that's, that's just Putin, man. That's just how he rolls. That's what he does. And it's it's actually something that even pre-Putin, I mean, in the 1980s, Russian intelligence were spreading conspiracies that the United States created HIV in a lab. Uh, this right. new conspiracy, you know, is being picked up by Chinese state media uh, and, of course, by far right MAGA-ish groups inside of the United States. The, the scary thing about it is that there are people here in this country who will pick up this garbage and, and recycle it um, here. I, I think you're absolutely right. And and. Look, you know, uh, the Russians seized an American. I think that the person that they chose and why they chose that person was in large part potentially signaling what they think are their supporters here. I mean, I, we've we've talked about this before, Joy. I think that there is clearly this weird obsession by the far right here in the United States. And look, the Russians are cultivating that. Why would they want to turn that away? They've got nothing to lose at this point. They're not doing well in Ukraine. Um, they really, of course, want to sow chaos. So yeah, I think that these conspiracy theories are things that they put out there knowing that there's no validity, that no one's going to really take yeah. them seriously except for one group of people. And it seems to be all these right-wingers here in the United States. So that seems to be their audience, perhaps. And the QAnoners. Uh, really quickly, uh, since you are a military man, I do want to th- throw this question to you. You know, the, the U.S. has been very clever in the past when they wanted to give warplanes to a nation and not get directly involved. I mean, I mean, we're sneaking, uh, you know, th- we can have some video here. Before we even got into World War II, President Roosevelt gave warplanes to Great Britain uh, while we were staying out of the war himself. But to maintain the appearance of m- neutrality, he had the planes delivered to the U.S. border with Canada and Great Britain had to, like, tow them across the Canadians to the Canadian <laughs> right. side. Like, why— why didn't the U.S. maybe do something secretive and sly rather than sort of announce out loud, you know, that it's a no-go to give them the planes? Yeah. So, uh, candidly, I think that the U.S. is doing exactly this, but I don't think it's going to be with Polish uh, MiGs. I think that, look, we know the Ukrainians have Turkish drones. Who's to say who's flying them? And when you talk about that Lend-Lease and the fact that the U.S. in World War II was supplying weapons— before we got into World War II, it's important to remember, we didn't just supply weapons, we supplied people too, that to fly those planes. So there's a long history of this type of operation that is meant to be plausible deniability, that is meant to be covert action. And frankly, I would be surprised to learn that we weren't doing something in there. But of yeah. course, again, the name of the game is not to get caught and not to publicize it. And very quickly, you've dealt with the, the Russians before. What do you think is in the mind of 
uh, Putin as an end game here because he's not going to subdue this country. He's not going to subdue yeah, Ukraine. You're absolutely right. He, there's no way, Joy, that he's going to win strategically by dominating Ukraine. He seeks to literally, I believe, to humiliate and devastate Ukraine. That's what he wants. It's this like personal thing. It's his personal legacy. It's a vanity project. He's not going to get that. But I do think that, unfortunately, he is going to continue to inflict just horror on innocent people who do not deserve this. And I sadly think when the dust settles, the losses of Ukrainian civilians will be like just it's going to be too hard to conceptualize right now. Yeah. But it's it's awful. It is awful. He will go down in history the same way, direction that uh, Hitler before him did. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Naveed Jamali, thank you very much. Still ahead. Remember that time a certain orange-tinted president got caught trying to blackmail Ukraine into making up dirt against his political opponent? And then his toadies were all like, but Ukraine is evil. Yeah, well, I remember that, too. We'll be right back. What would be your, your message to President Vladimir Putin right now? Right now? Right now, stop the war, begin to speak. That's it. And what if he doesn't? I think he will. I think he will. I think he sees that we are strong. He will. We need some time. President Zelensky continues to stand resiliently against Putin's aggression. This morning, he delivered a message to Russian leaders and their supporters who are spreading lies about the war. War crimes are impossible without the propagandists who cover them up. I want to tell them one thing. You will bear responsibility just as all those who give the orders to bomb civilians. And late tonight, in a new video, he accused Russia of blocking necessary information from the people of Mariupol, asking anyone who can reach residents of that besieged city to spread the truth and remind them that Ukraine is with them. I'm joined now by Alexander Bil Bilkun, former translator for former Ukrainian President Viktor Yushchenko, and Charlie Sykes, editor-at-large at The Bulwark. I, I want to talk about these um, outright lies, Mr. Bilkun, that are being now perpetrated by the Kremlin, accusing Ukraine of having some sort of secret, chem secret chemical facilities um, and accusing Ukraine of essentially being the aggressor. All of these lies are starting to filter into beyond them. It's, it may not be working on um, Ukrainians, but it sure is working in, on some folks in the West. Do you fear that these kinds of lies are a pretext to a chemical weapons style attack on Ukraine? <laughs> uh, hi, Joy, and thanks for having me. Uh, I really don't know what can we expect now, uh, to be honest, because uh, this, uh, I don't want to call him a man, honestly. He has surpassed all the uh, boldest expectations that we might have about his uh, uh, insanity. Uh, I very much hope he doesn't uh, resort to this uh, chemical uh, weapon. Uh, I really uh, am not in a position to analyze him. Yeah. Sorry. No, that's okay. I mean, you served, you know, a former um, Ukrainian president, and you know the volatility of being the neighbor um, of Russia. The demands that they're making on Ukraine right now um, are essentially that— Ukrainians stop fighting, um, that they um, promise to never join NATO, um, that they recognize these separatist republics. Can you envision Ukrainians ever submitting to that, whatever propaganda Absolutely is used to try not. to make it? Never. Absolutely not. You know, uh, we have uh, come a long way to realize that 
any uh, new demand will then be followed by another demand. So, mm. and suffice it to make one concession, it will be immediately followed by a new ultimatum. No, we're fed up with that. And uh, all the, the only answer to all the demands and to all the ultimatums is no. Yeah. Let's talk about the propaganda, Charlie, because it, the thing that is so distressing, and I've said this before, I think the only thing that Donald Trump ever really accomplished as president was to move the Republican Party, which already had some Putinite leanings during the Obama administration, move parts of it fully into the Putinist camp. Uh, you have Madison Cawthorn, who is He's, he's moronic. OK, let's just be clear about that. But here he was over the weekend calling the Ukrainian president um, corrupt and, and basically essentially saying he's the villain. He's evil, he said. You have people like Thomas Massey of Kentucky literally parroting Kremlin propaganda, just repeating it, using it. And of course, you have Tucker Carlson, who has the most popular program on the right wing Fox News network, just repeating and and, you know, pushing out as if it is coming straight from the Kremlin. I wonder, number one, what effect do you think this will ultimately have on Republicans' ultimate support to do what we need to do as a country to support Ukraine? Because I feel like the, the political incentives ultimately are driven by the far right and by people like Tucker. Right. Do you think that this starts to crack Republican support for Ukraine and for doing things governmentally to support them? Uh, unfortunately, I do. Uh, look, uh, Liz Cheney described a Madison Cawthorn as a member of the pro-Putin wing of the GOP. Um, and uh, she's right about that. There is a pro-Putin wing of the GOP right now, and it has uh, large megaphones. Now, you're going to hear a lot of Republicans, including Lindsey Graham, saying, no, 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 Madison Cawthorn is an outlier. He doesn't speak for the party. But the reality is that Madison Cawthorn is a creation of this new Trumpist Republican Party. They've made him a rock star. And the real problem is the head of the pro-Putin wing of the Republican Party is Donald Trump. And I have to say that you listen to this stuff and it sounds crazy, you know, talking about how evil and, and corrupt. I think we've lost Charlie's. Yeah, we've lost Charlie's audio. I'm going to go back to you, Mr. Bilkun, because I guess the concern is, Mr. Bilkun, that the United States will not remain united in supporting Ukraine and giving it all that we can. I mean, I, I realize that the U.S. is reluctant to get involved directly in any hostilities. But do, are you concerned that the support from the United States will not remain um, solid if we do have a faction within one of our two major parties that is essentially anti-Ukraine and pro-Kremlin? Now, I wouldn't say I am concerned about the... Um this consistency of the support that we are receiving and for which we thank you uh, very much. And even to a lesser extent, I might uh, uh, be, I might fear that this support would be undermined by statements uh, like the one you're discussing. And frankly, yeah. <laughs> I'm really uh, surprised that this uh, narrative receives uh, so much attention in the U.S. media because you know, uh, things like that were said about uh, the uh, world's leaders uh, many times. Suffice it to recall, Winston Churchill was called uh, alcoholic, uh, snake in the grass, and uh, you name it. Uh, Charles de Gaulle, the French president, was called a traitor on numerous occasions. But the history <laughs> dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. 
So I'm, I think that uh, the senator who is now can boast making a new friend like uh, President Putin, because I don't think that any respectable politician will ever want to shake his hand other than Putin, Lukashenko, Assad and other uh, hmm. in this warm company. But um, I think he's just uh, using every possibility for his publicity. We don't take them seriously, honestly. Most importantly, that President Zelensky enjoys the phenomenally high support in the country. The nation is unanimously supporting him, standing uh, with him shoulder to shoulder as long as he is standing shoulder to shoulder with, with his nation. Yeah, indeed. And I, I think that I wish, uh, and I think Charlie is back, that, Charlie, we didn't have a political party that was essentially controlled by its media wing. If we had a serious Republican Party, we wouldn't even have to talk about this, and we shouldn't have to. But Russia, you know, one of the Kremlin's biggest exports is propaganda. And they've been very right. effective at breaking our political system in right. this country. And what I personally worry about, I don't really care about Madison Cawthorn or any of these other fools. What I worry about is that they and that thinking ultimately winds up creeping into the actions of proper Republicans, of serious Republicans who are right. too afraid to oppose that wing and that they start to withdraw from Ukraine as well. And, and I'm glad that Mr. Right. That, that, that our, that Mr. Bilkin isn't worried about it. And you say you are a bit more. Well, I am. But but I mean, it is important to note that it's not happening right now, that really right now um, the pro-Putin wing is very, very isolated and it is uh, isolated to the entertainment wing of the Republican Party. But as you point out, the entertainment wing of the Republican Party dominates that party. And the head of the pro-Putin wing of the Republican Party is Donald Trump, the former president of the United States and um, the you know, the the dominant figure in that party. And and don't underestimate how deeply ingrained this anti-Ukraine narrative is in right wing politics. Remember um, that uh, Donald Trump and Republicans were obsessed uh, about accusing Ukraine of interference in the 2016 election. They were obsessed with their entire narrative about Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and, and Burisma. So Madison Cawthorn may look like an outlier right now, but uh, again, um, he is reflecting what was a very standard talking point in Trump world up until very, very recently. So yeah. right now, emotions are running high. Republicans are standing firm. But yeah. um, my prediction is that, uh, that Donald Trump will not be able to resist taking the bait. And once he gets in, you start yeah. to see. We've lost Charlie's. We're going to go yeah, ahead and go. Trump but. And God forbid he ever get back in in the White House again, uh, because you would essentially have him giving Ukraine away. Um, Alexander Bilkun, Charlie Sykes, thank you both very much. We'll back up to this. As the Russian invasion enters its third week, the humanitarian crisis continues to grow more dire. The U.N. says more than 2.3 million Ukrainians have become refugees. More than 1.4 million have crossed into Poland alone. Joining me now from Krakow, Poland, is NBC News correspondent Ellison Barber. Ellison? Hey, Joy, we have spent the last 12 or so days stopping visiting border crossings all along the Polish-Ukrainian border. We wanted to follow the journey that so many people are taking because oftentimes they're not staying in these border cities. They're boarding trains and then they're headed to bigger cities like this, Krakow, 
and then lining up, waiting, trying to figure out if there's a place for them to sleep. We were in a train station today on platform number four where there were countless refugees standing, waiting in line hours at times to try and talk to someone to see if there was a place where they might have shelter for the night. In that line, we met one woman. She's in her 70s. She's fled her hometown, Kharkiv. We asked her a question. We've asked every refugee we've met the last two weeks, what do you want Americans to understand about what Ukrainians are going through? This is what she told us. I think that people have to know that Ukraine is a peaceful country and we didn't want to attack anyone, we had no such plans. And it's we who were attacked actually. We, we couldn't imagine that Putin, Putin would make such a decision. And I want everybody to live in peace. And I also want other countries not to ever experience what we are experiencing right now. She'd been waiting in line for an hour to try and see if there was some place for her to stay the night, the next few days until the fighting stops. She told us if she didn't get a room after waiting in that line, she had no idea where she was going to sleep. Joy people are trying to get beds, but there simply are not enough for the number of refugees here. So people are sleeping on train platforms or at makeshift shelters. Joy. Mm. Alison Barber, thank you. And a reminder, you can see the mask there. This is all happening during an ongoing pandemic. Double and triple tragedy. Thank you very much. Really appreciate you, Alison. That is tonight's readout. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com.